Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. Equip for Health is a health and wellness company that works with anyone who wants to achieve great health through simple, sustainable daily changes. They are passionate about improving health from the inside out and having a health journey that is both result-driven and enjoyable at the same time. Check them out today at equipforhealth.com and make sure you use the code SAVVY at checkout to save 10% on their online course. Thanks for joining us for this bonus episode. In the past, we have covered sexual intimacy and marriage from various perspectives, including spiritual, emotional, and psychological. If you want to hear these episodes, they are easy to find on our website, thesavvysauce.com. This week, however, we are looking at sexual intimacy and marriage through a more medical and scientific lens. Early in my career, I remember hearing about this talented Jewish couple who helped people from around the world with a variety of sexual issues. We had the privilege of chatting with Dr. Erwin Goldstein yesterday, and today we are going to continue this medical conversation with his wife, Sue Goldstein. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Sue. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here with you. Can you just start us all off by sharing a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure, Laura. I like to say I'm a jack of all trades and master of most because I do a lot of things. But officially, I am a clinical researcher, which means that I do research with human subjects, with people to find out if different treatments help them with their sexual dysfunction. And I'm also a sexuality educator. So in my office, I serve as kind of a patient advocate separate from the clinicians that will treat the patients. And I also work to help educate both public and professionals so they can learn more about sexual health and sexual dysfunction. That's incredible. And we're talking to general public today. So what information or encouragement would you like to share for a wife whose husband is struggling with erectile dysfunction? Well, I think women need to understand there are two different things going on when their husband has erectile dysfunction or ED. They have the biologic changes that make it impossible for them to have the firm erection they had when they were young. There are also the psychologic changes. They may not feel whole. They may not feel like a man. And so it's important that we think about what's going on from their psychological point of view as well as the biologic. It's important that a woman makes sure that her partner understands that she still loves him whether or not he's able to have intercourse, uh, that there are other alternatives to have sexual pleasure, and that if he wants to be treated, she should be there with him for treatment. There are so many treatments in this day and age that can help a man. There are cases of women who feel like if her partner has ED, it must be that she no longer is attractive to him. And that's totally not true. It's a biologic change that causes the ED through no fault of the the partner or the relationship. And so for a woman to be supportive of her husband, to go with to the doctor's appointment, talk to him, 
If he'd rather not be treated, then help him come up with other ways for the bedroom. There are certainly many ways that a husband and wife can pleasure each other without having sexual intercourse. But if that's what their end goal is, then find a competent physician and get treatment because we really have a lot of alternatives these days. Great. Thank you for just checking in with them and doing a little follow-up. And now I want to talk about a topic that is mysterious to some, but with your impressive medical background, I would like to hear your take on how you think women experience orgasm. Well, orgasm is that big mystery. First of all, there really are two different questions going on at the same time. Women, it's a matter of what part of their body is going into contraction for orgasm, but it's also what part of the body leads you to get an orgasm. And very often when we talk about different kinds of orgasms, we get those two conversations mixed up. The most common way that a woman gets an orgasm is through clitoral stimulation. And this is also will end up with a clitoral orgasm. But the uh, anterior vaginal wall, which we call the G-spot, that is extremely sensitive. And if that area gets stimulated, you may get a more intense orgasm. People talk about a vaginal orgasm. We talk about le petit mort, which is really a time where you just you, you lose all, all consciousness. I mean, you're not going to pass out. But a very strong orgasm actually turns off blood flow to a certain part of your brain so that you actually may have music playing in the background and you don't even notice it's there until you sort of come out, come back to normal afterwards. So the question is, do we have an internal orgasm and an external orgasm? Do we have an orgasm that's stimulated because of the clitoris, because of internal Women who are highly orgasmic can get stimulated and reach orgasm from having their nipples um, stimulated, which is a wonderful opportunity for those people who perhaps are uh, spinal cord injured and they only have feeling in the upper part of their body, or um, a woman who has lost sensation through some kind of surgery. Uh, we have the LEAP procedure where they actually burn a portion of the cervix, and women complain when they have that because there's, there are three different kinds of nerves that actually innervate the, the cervix, that although if you put something against the cervix, you can't feel it. But if you destroy those nerves, you may lose your ability to have an internal orgasm. So there's a lot of complications. But the good news is that we have a lot of different areas in our body that are really erogenous zones. Um, you know, you think about Mae West, for those of you old enough to remember, blow in my ear and I'll follow you anywhere. Um, behind your ear is an erogenous zone. So if you don't get an orgasm through the more traditional methods for whatever reason, there are other parts of your body that can be stimulated. And some people only get an orgasm once in a long while, and some people get five, six, seven, eight orgasms every time they, they have sexual activity. Everyone's different. There's no right and there's no wrong, except for if you've never reached orgasm. And then it may actually be a physiologic problem. We've actually found women who don't even know, but they have no feeling inside their vagina. They don't know that. We find that out on testing, and then we can potentially, for some of these women, treat them, and they reach orgasm. But you also may not reach orgasm because your partner doesn't do enough foreplay with you. There are so many variables, and if you feel you are having trouble with orgasm, then seek a specialist. Your gynecologist may not really have enough knowledge about this. You may need to go to a sexual medicine specialist. But in sexual medicine, we say, 
if you are different from somebody else, that doesn't mean anything. Everyone is their own norm. But if you have a problem that distresses you, that bothers you, if, if you're not reaching the kind of orgasm you did when you were younger, for instance, it's now a little blip when it used to be a volcano, you have a right to seek help and, and try to restore. That's sort of my, my mini lecture on orgasm. That's incredible. And just how we were designed, you said to have so many different types of orgasm. But let me just clarify it. With treatment, do you believe it's possible for every female to experience orgasm? I think that the answer is yes and no. We are still learning so much that we probably don't know all the reasons why women don't experience orgasm, but we're slowly learning more and more. So yes, I believe that as long as we can discover the etiology, in other words, what is the problem, then we can have a solution. It's just we haven't yet discovered what all the problems are. Oh, that's very clear. And from the flip side, what are you noticing with the women who are more easily orgasmic in any of these ways? Is there any type of pattern that you've identified? Well, for a lot of women, it may be as they age, as they're going through menopause, it may be after they have a childbirth, they get what's called HSDD, hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And if you lose interest, you may still have sexual activity with your partner because you're having mercy sex or duty sex. You love your partner. You don't want him to stray. You want him to feel good. And so you have sex and your body still responds. You'll still arouse. You'll still have an orgasm, but it may be that little bump instead of the mountain. And so we find if we treat the HSDD, that will improve arousal and orgasm if that's the particular problem. And that's very common because HSDD is the most common sexual dysfunction among women. And that's easily treated now. We have two FDA-approved treatments for premenopausal generalized acquired HSDD. And that means that you once had normal desire and now it's less and that it happens in all instances, not just with one particular partner. So we can use those off-label for postmenopausal women. Matter of fact, in our office, we even use them off-label for men. But if you increase that desire, the data show us that those same medications also help with arousal and orgasm. We have a thing called responsive desire. So once you're in the act, your body starts to you know, have more desire, and so then it arouses more and it is orgasm. That, and that is so common. It is the most common sexual dysfunction. The other thing with orgasm that we have recently discovered, because we have a unique collaboration with a neurophysiologist named Barry Kamasarik at Rutgers University, and with a minimally invasive spine surgeon named Chol Kim here at Alvarado Hospital, we have discovered that some women actually have an annular tear or a cyst in the cauda equina, which is actually the tail end of the spinal cord. If so MRI is read by a radiologist, he's going to say, oh, it's incidental, it doesn't mean anything, that these very, very small defects sometimes result in a woman having severe pain, having persistent general arousal, but sometimes it results in the woman having no sensation inside her vagina. And we had a patient who hadn't had an orgasm in 30 years. And this new collaboration with the spine surgeon, we discovered that she had something, just a minor annular tear. And he repaired it surgically and she came, you know, go home that day with a bandage on your back. That's all it is. It's not a big open surgery. 
And she came back in for testing a week later and she had full sensation and now she's able to reach orgasm. So those are two very different ends of the spectrum of why a woman you know, had trouble with orgasm. So my point was that until we know it's wrong, we can't make it better. But as we're discovering more and more things that can go wrong, it gives us an opportunity to make more and more women better. That's incredible. And what kind of life change are you seeing for these women? Our women who are treated report to us that when they have HSDD, they don't feel like a whole woman. They feel beige. Um, they just don't feel like really participating in life. And when we treat them, they notice that not only do they feel whole again, but there's a playfulness in the relationship with their partner that they didn't realize was missing. They love their partner. They've had a good relationship. That wasn't why they had no desire or low desire. But it's the biochemistry in the brain has changed. And these new medications change the biochemistry in the brain, bring it back to where it used to be so that it brings a whole playfulness, a whole new dimension into that relationship. And I love that you've just offered hope to people listening. And I'm also curious, from your career in education and research, are there any commonalities that you've noticed among women who do struggle with sex? You know, there's the only commonality is that they're all women. But the fact is that this knows no cultural lines, no age, no ethnicity. All women can get any kind of sexual dysfunction. It's not that all women get it, but all women can. And then all women go through menopause. The majority of women going through menopause because of the change in the hormonal milieu will have changes to their sexual function. But again, you can treat menopause. And that will restore sexual function. Can, can we talk about menopause for a couple of minutes? Let's do, please. Okay. So women know they have vasomotor symptoms going through menopause. And most people think once those vasomotor symptoms are done, that they're finished with menopause. And now they're post-menopause, which means they're no longer in menopause. Well, that's wrong. Post-menopause and menopause are the same thing. Once you haven't had your period for 12 months, you are technically in menopause, unless, of course, you've been surgically, your ovaries have been removed, and then you're, then you're immediately in menopause. You no longer have the hormones going through your body that do a lot of different things, in particular, keep your, your genitals healthy. So women think that when they no longer have hot flashes, they are done. And that's their choice that they choose not to do anything. But the fact is, if you choose to go through menopause and not have any hormones, essentially your genitals go back to where they were when you were a little girl before you had hormones. But they get small, they get dry, they get cracked, they get painful. I, myself, I'm on hormones because I want to stay healthy. And people will say to me, well, I want to go through menopause. And my response is, if you had hypertension, would you go through that naturally or would you take an antihypertensive? If you had diabetes, would you do that naturally or would you want to take, you know, a medication? If you had cancer, would you deal with that naturally or would you want to fight it? So to me, menopause is just another biologic change and I choose to treat it so that I can stay healthy. Um, that keeps my genitals healthy so that I can have intercourse without pain, without cracking and bleeding. And ladies, if you opt not to take hor any hormones, and you don't have to have systemic hormones, that's a different thing. But local hormones, in other words, medication that you put, estrogens and androgens that you put on your genitals, prescribed by a physician or a nurse practitioner, please do not do this on your own. But if you choose not to do that, everything will 
atrophy is the word, dry up. Your vagina is an accordion. The accordion goes away. The skin itself will get thin. So if you're trying to have intercourse, it may crack and bleed. But all of that can be restored if you go on hormones, even if you don't you know, have them right away. It will take a little time, but we can restore health so that you can have pain-free intercourse. Because if that's your goal, then you have a right to get that treatment and have enjoyable sex. I and mean, one of my jobs as a sexuality educator is to empower women. And I always say the educated patient is the empowered patient. You need to know about your own body and you need to make shared decisions with your clinician, but ultimately it's your decision. And I would never say to a woman, you have to be on hormones. That's an individual's choice. But what I do say is you should find out the correct data and not get your medical information from a newspaper. You should find out what the real data are and make an informed decision. So my job as an educator is to say, well, educate yourself and then make a decision. Don't just assume there's nothing out there to help you because too many clinicians don't want to start the conversation. Women believe there's nothing to help them. So if you're listening to this broadcast, please, if you have a sexual problem, you start the conversation with your clinician. You may think he or she is going to be embarrassed if you start the conversation, but your doctor may actually be very relieved that you started it because they didn't know how to start that. One of the things we teach in our courses is how to start that conversation with the patient because patients want to hear what's available for them. Patients need to hear, you know, you're 60 years old, you've been in menopause for eight years, you're probably painful when you're having sex, right, Mrs. Jones? And it's nice for you to know that you aren't the only one experiencing that. And then because that conversation has started, it's an opportunity to say, okay, what can you do for me so that I no longer have painful sex? Because you have that right. I love it. And I love that you point just to that word restoration and that hope is there. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Molly Flutterer and Ryan Parnum are two average everyday people who are passionate about healthy living. They also love helping other busy people achieve great health without any fancy diets, supplements, or other short-term gimmicks. Their signature program, Sustain, is an online-based five-week program that will teach you the foundation of a lasting, sustainable, healthy lifestyle, and it includes a self-paced component, live coaching, membership to a private online community, and live educational coaching with Q&A sessions. Previous participants have not only experienced weight loss, but also improved gut health, improved mental clarity, experienced less migraines, less aches and pains, improved energy, and most importantly, many feel they have the confidence, tools, and knowledge to stay healthy for life. Molly and Ryan will work with you on mindset, nutrition, sleep, movement, intermittent fasting, and much, much more with their positive, energetic, and uplifting coaching. Join Sustain and be part of a positive, healthy, growing community of like-minded, average people looking to improve their health and live life to the fullest. Check out Sustain at www.equipforhealth.com. You can use the code SAVVY at checkout to save 10% on their online course. What are the differences and similarities between males and females' experience of sex in general? That is a great question. For men, all sex is good, whether it's good sex or bad sex. 
For women, good sex is good and bad sex is miserable. I'll go a little further. For instance, if a man, as he ages, isn't quite as hard as he used to be, he can still, I'm very being very graphic, he can still enter his partner's vagina, he can still ejaculate, and he has a good sexual experience. But because he's not as hard, it doesn't enter her vaginal canal quite the same way. It's squishy, for lack of a better word. And so she feels like he's pounding into her. And so she may have pain that she wouldn't experience if he were harder. I mean, right there is literally a physical difference. She's miserable. All she can do is say, just get it over with already. I love you, but I'm miserable. And he is, wasn't that great, honey? I had a good time. That is a huge difference. And then the other difference, I I think this is the fact that women are not necessarily comfortable saying to their partner, do this, do that, or comfortable saying to their clinician, I have a problem. Whereas I think a man is much more forthcoming if he has an issue, not 100% of the time, certainly there are many men who don't want to talk about it, they may hide it from their partner, they may go to the doctor and get medication, um, whether it's oral pill or injection that he does on the slide, because he doesn't want his partner to know, but he's more likely to get treated than she is. And she may just be totally in the dark. But to me, that's kind of a huge piece. The other thing is that a man doesn't need foreplay. And a woman needs foreplay. We worry, you know, did a woman not reach orgasm because he just had a firm erection? Two, three minutes later, he's he's done. And it hasn't had enough time for her. So if she, if she can have foreplay, then she's sort of primed and ready. And if he doesn't last a long time, then she has a better opportunity to reach orgasm. So that's why when we talked before about orgasm, we talked about etiology, find out what's going on. Let's find out if it's really a problem with her or if it's a problem with him. If she has discomfort, is it because he's not firm enough? So all sex is good to a man, but not all sex is good to a woman. One of our listeners specifically reached out to learn more about the O-Shot. So can you share why that's actually a marketing gimmick? I, I have to tell you that that bothers me so much. So O-Shot is platelet-rich plasma, which is an experimental therapy. And a lot of places around the world do platelet-rich plasma, including San Diego Sexual Medicine, where I work. We do it as an experimental therapy. We tell our patients, you know, try it and see if it makes any difference. There are no data that show giving a woman PRP in her clitoris or in her G-spot makes any difference. The fact is that O-Shot is a trademarked name or patented name. I'm not sure which it is. But using an O-Shot means you're getting discounted purchase of the equipment through being part of this larger buyer organization. And at the same token, you have to charge a specific price. So it's all a marketing gimmick. It may help somebody, it may not help somebody, but I believe in being upfront. Uh, In our practice, as I said, we would offer one injection and say, if it makes a difference, we can try it again. Although I have to tell you, we very rarely use PRP for women. We use it a lot for men with erectile dysfunction. And when I say a lot, we offer it. If it seems to help, we'll say, why don't you try it, you know, another couple of times. We don't use it very often for women. But the most important thing as a researcher is show me the data. And there is not a single publication that I am aware of showing the efficacy of PRP in the clitoris, PRP in the G-spot, or what we call the O-shot. So buyer beware. It's important that you know what you're doing. 
I always say people spend more time shopping for a used car than they do shopping for a physician. And really, do your research before you, you know, go someplace. Anyone who says, this is going to work for you, no treatment, no treatment works 100% of the time. And anyone who tells you this always works is a liar. It's just not possible. You, everyone knows Viagra. We know Viagra is great. That's a trade name. I, in my world, I would say Sildenafil. But it only works in 60 to 70% of people. Most of our sexual health treatments, our sexual medicine treatments work in 60 to 70% of treatments. Even aspirin, no matter what you take, there is no medication that works 100% of the time in 100% of the people. Fire beware. I love hearing your passion because I can tell you're protective of your patients and you do <laughs> want what's in their best interest. If you've benefited in any way from the Savvy Sauce, we would love to invite you to become a patron. If every listener gave just $1 per month, it would completely offset all our production costs. We want to keep majority of our content free to the public, and one way to do that is with your help. Please consider joining Patreon today and finding out what perks you can receive for pledging $2, 5 or even $20 per month. So are there any other sexual products or sexual trends that we need to be aware of or even avoid because they're also falsely advertised? Whoa, that's a big question. I think we have to be careful of some of the compounding pharmacies that promote compounded medications that are available as FDA-approved medications. People don't understand the word bioidentical. People think that bioidentical means it's compounded. Bioidentical means it's the same chemical structure as the chemical that's naturally made in your body. So when we use bioidentical estrogens and bioidentical testosterone, it means that if we give you the medication, we can then draw blood and we can see how much of it is in your body because it's identical to what your body naturally makes. And the FDA has many bio identical estrogen products that are available for women. And unfortunately, there are no testosterones for women. They're all for men. But what we use is we would much rather use a testosterone that's been FDA approved for men. And by FDA approved, it means it's been checked for safety and for efficacy. So we know it's not harmful and we know it works. So we use that, but in the correct dose for a woman. We wouldn't use the same amount for a man. But there are a lot of compounding pharmacies or companies that promote their compounded estrogens and testosterones, and they push that, making people think that that's the only way they can get treatment. Compounding pharmacies are wonderful. We have medications that are not available any other way, and we depend upon them. But when you have a choice between something that's been approved by the FDA and something that's not I would caution you to always use the one that's from the FDA. And that's really your clinician, how they write the prescription. But there are some clinicians that have these hormones they keep in their office and they sell them. It's not that it's a scam, but it's one thing that are they there because they want to make you better or are they there because they want to make money? I always tell people we aren't in the business of making money in our practice. We're in the business of making men and women better, of healing them from their sexual health problems. And you know, when you help men and women, the money will come. I mean, I'm not rich. We put our, a lot of our money back into our practice because we do a lot of our own research that we pay for ourselves. But I will never starve. I will never be naked. If you do the right thing, you will always be okay. And 
this is really my message. I mean, make sure you're going to a clinician. It can be a physician, a nurse practitioner, physician assistant. Those are the providers that can prescribe for you. And sex therapists who aren't prescribers, but they provide a different kind of treatment. Just make sure that they're legitimate and they're not there because they're trying to sell you a product. Typically, we see these men's health clinics for men where they promote inappropriate treatments for patients who shouldn't have them. We don't see them as much for women except for in the hormones. So be careful. Make sure you're getting a bioidentical hormone because otherwise, we can't tell what's in your body. And make sure if it's available as an FDA-approved product that that's what your, your clinician prescribes. Thank you for that education piece. And We could go so many different directions. So as we're winding down, is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover today that you wanted to mention? I think there are so many different kinds of sexual dysfunctions that people don't know about. One of them is the scariest. It's persistent genital arousal disorder. And it's a situation we're finding now that it's often caused by that defect in the cauda equina in the spine that we talked about before. But it causes a woman to have a feeling of constant arousal. And there may be no actual physiologic arousal, but in her brain, she feels aroused. And the reason I want to broadcast this now is because We believe it's far more common than we knew. And these women are desperate. When they talk to their local provider, very often the providers never heard of it. We've heard horror stories of a male gynecologist who said to the woman, oh, I wish my wife had that. I mean, that's devastating. When you have something that you can't even leave your house without this awful feeling. We've had a school teacher. If she ever told anyone she had this, they would think she was being aroused by the children in her classroom. And of course she's not. There's no desire. There's no interest. It's just your body. Your body is turning on you and doing this. So I caution anyone listening who knows of someone with PGAD, do not make fun of them. This is a devastating disease. Women kill themselves every year because they can't function with it. And if you're listening and if you have PGAD, reach out to your provider. If you can't find someone who can help you, reach out to us. We understand this disease state. It's horrible, but we've been able to help a lot of women. Some we've been able to cure. Some we've been able to help them get under control. Keep your eyes on the prize. Do not lose hope. There is help out there, and every year we're learning more and more and more. And what we don't know today in our field, maybe we'll know tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe the year after. But this is one of the most devastating disease states in sexual medicine. So I just want to share that to give women hope that we're helping these people. And God willing, someday we won't lose anyone to suicide, that we'll be able to help everyone. So true. I'm glad that you mentioned that. And whether that someone's struggle today, or if there's another issue and they're curious to find out more from you, where can they find you online, Sue? We're sandiegosexualmedicine.com, or if your fingers are too tired, you can actually write sdsm.info, like Sam David, Sam Mary. You can find me, you can find everyone in our practice, you can find out a lot of information about various disease states that we treat and some of the treatments that we can do. Or go on Amazon, I co-authored a book called When Sex Isn't Good. My husband co-authored a book called When Sex Hurts. When you come here as a patient, if you're a pain patient, we give you a copy of When Sex Hurts. Otherwise, we give you When Sex Isn't Good. When Sex Isn't Good goes back to the 1990s, but much of what we said still is true there. Only we have the new treatments for HSDD and new treatment for PJD. But they're there to educate, to empower, and to give women hope because that ultimately is my goal. That's incredible. We will link to all of that in our show notes and also on our resources page of our website. So 
listeners can find it very easily. And Sue, I just have one final question for you because we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. So we would love to hear today, what is your Savvy Sauce? My Savvy Sauce is the advice I gave to my daughter and my daughter-in-law as they each had babies and they weren't going back into the workplace right away. I think every woman needs to have something that they're passionate about. And it's something that's not involving your partner, your children, something that means something to you that you have ownership of. I mean, I wake up every day loving coming to work and I'm passionate about it, but I do that with my husband. I tell people he had a dream and one day I realized it was my dream too. To me, I love Pilates. It keeps my body healthy. And when I'm on the reformer, my body is totally focused on my own muscles and nothing else in the world. I love to read. I love fiction. It's an escape for me. But most important thing to me is singing. I sing in my temple choir and my husband comes to hear me sing. I sing in my car and I'm alone. I always have music station on. That is my source of pleasure and focus. And when my children were growing up, I was working part time and I didn't want to get lost in that great big world. I was able to join a group that every week we had rehearsal, we performed. So to me, having that thing that was mine, I own, my husband likes to think he sings, he can't, he doesn't you know, really sing, but having my music, I play piano, I play guitar, I sing, having my music and the passion that goes around the music, that's my savvy sauce. Love it. Sue, you are a fascinating and clearly a brilliant woman. I just really appreciate you teaching us about this topic, especially because it's not often discussed publicly with such accurate information. So I hope listeners found this chat to not only be informative, but also helpful and practical so they can enrich this area of their lives with their husbands. Sue, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Laura. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. 
you get the opportunity to live your life for Him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.